Hi, I'm Harriet Smith and welcome to Dietitian Cafe, where we will be discussing the world of nutrition and dietetics. From studying to academia, clinical to industry and the NHS to freelancing, today we have with us Rosie Long. Rosie is a registered associate nutritionist currently working at Porta Novelli, a public relations agency based in London. Since graduating with a BSc in nutrition from Bournemouth University in 2015, Rosie has worked in a number of nutrition and communication roles within the food industry. Her current role at Porta Novelli involves nutrition content writing, media relations and nutrition consultancy for a number of clients across a variety of sectors. She loves nothing more than using her nutrition knowledge know-how to encourage a journalist to change a misleading or scaremongering headline. Hi Rosie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, it's um, a pleasure to be on. It's great to see you again and we're going to jump straight on in and ask you where did your interest in nutrition stem from? So I was a bit of a, a lost soul at college and I didn't really have any idea where I wanted to go in my career. Um, and I remember vividly speaking to my careers advisor at college in a kind of panic um, as it was coming towards the end of my second year there. Um, I was finishing my A-levels and I, I said to her, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. Um, and she said to me, you need to know what you're passionate about. She said, what, what do you like doing? What do you enjoy when you go home? I said, well, I really like cooking. Um, and she said, okay, and what are you good at? I said, well, I'm quite good at biology, good at science. She said, right, I think I've got the perfect idea for you. And she gave me some um, websites and she told me to go and look up nutrition and dietetics. Um, and I did. I looked into the courses and I thought, oh, yeah, this sounds just like something I could get into. Mm. Um, and the more I looked at it, the more I could imagine myself doing it. And um, my, my sister works in a hospital as well. So I, I thought well, I could definitely imagine myself in a hospital setting. I can definitely imagine myself as, as a dietitian and helping people through food. Um, so that's kind of where I kind of started off. Um, and I went off and applied through UCAS to a number of courses um, for nutrition and dietetics and just nutrition alone. Um, and uh, yeah, I ended up getting into a nutrition course at Bournemouth University. And yeah, it was just, that's where it all came from, really. And you said that you were quite careful to select an AFN accredited degree. Is that right? Yeah, so um, I am a bit of a researcher. So when I get my head into something, I like to find out what the best option is. So whether that's me buying some sort of tech online, I'm like trying to look at the reviews and see what's what's best. So um, I looked up um, a lot of courses and found this kind of talk around association for nutrition um, and making sure it was accredited so I was sure that whenever I was looking at courses for nutrition that I was looking for a course that was accredited because I kind of looked up the what that meant and it's something that I think anyone who is interested in going and studying nutrition solely really should be um, cautious of and they should make sure that they're looking for an accredited course because um, if you go and study nutrition and dietetics you know you've got that you've got that reassurance that you know that dietetics is accredited and you you kind of get straight through and you um, you have this professionalism whereas with nutrition there are some courses out there which although they may be teaching some really sound evidence base if they're not accredited by the uh, association for nutrition um, 
it does then make going and forming a career in nutrition quite hard in the sense that you have to prove yourself. So once you finish your course, you have to kind of show that your course was evidence-based and that you learned the right things. Whereas if your course has been accredited in advance, the Association for Nutrition are already confident that the teaching is of a certain standard and that you will have covered all the right areas and you would have been taught all the right kind of um, ways of reading evidence and ethics and things to that enables you to start your career. Mm. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean, obviously, you're perfectly qualified when you graduate. There's still so much more to do. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely something you should be um, focusing on. And at the moment, you're an associate nutritionist. Is that correct? Yes. So um, that's kind of what I was referring to in the sense of once I graduated, I had that accreditation. Um, but it doesn't mean you're ready necessarily for everything you're not qualified fully in that sense you um you have the kind of base knowledge the base nutrition knowledge and the and the skills to be able to um learn more but there are still some limitations and i think this is the great thing about the association for nutrition is when you apply for your registration you're an associate registered associate nutritionist um and they want you to work for at least three years usually um and build up your continued professional development portfolio um and then I mean I am guilty of this I really need to submit my portfolio now um but then you submit your portfolio and then once they've reviewed what you've done and they realize that you're um well-rounded nutrition professional and you've met lots of different standards and you've um showcased the work you're doing in lots of different areas then they will award you a registered nutritionist title so um, it's just kind of proving that you've done the due diligence and that you're really learning still. Mm-hmm. So you're not far off that, given all your experience, which you're, I know you're going to be talking us through on the podcast later on. Um, and in terms of how you got into what you're doing with industry at the moment, can you tell us a bit about how you went from being that nutrition graduate from university to suddenly working within the food industry? Yeah, so um, it started really when I was at university. So I did my first industrial placement. So I opted for a short placement rather than taking a year out. Um, I I kind of just, I wanted to get stuck in. So I wanted to get it done and get out in the real world quite quickly. Um, And I had my first industrial placement in an Italian cheese company, actually, um, based in Exeter, which was close to my hometown. Um, and what I did there was, so I was uh, almost a technical assistant. So I essentially helped the technical manager, um, in everything that he needed to do, but that involved things like, um, analyzing product labels, making sure that the nutrition claims that they had were correct. Um, I built a nutritional database whilst I was there. Um, and I also looked at kind of, um, all things to do with nutrition claims, so to speak. So I had to clue up on EFSA health claims and make sure that um, all of the things that were being said on PAC were not, um, were not kind of overstating anything. Um, and then a lot of calculation of nutrition value. So it was very, very technical, as you can imagine, because it was a technical assistant role. Um, but that kind of kick-started my industry career, so to speak. Um, it made me realize that the food industry could be quite interesting. There was, um, you know, I was working with big food brands, um, 
And it was quite varied in that sense. There was lots of different brands that I'd be working with, um, mainly retailers. Um, it, I mean, it probably wasn't for me in the sense that it was very nitty gritty. There wasn't much of the kind of expanding on nutrition. It was technical. Um, but that, that was my first, first real taste of the industry. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you, you haven't looked back because since um, working at the Italian Cheese Company, you then went on to work at Nestle, didn't you? Yes. So that was after I graduated and it was not an easy journey getting there. Um, I was coming to the end of my degree and um, I was looking for jobs consist- consistently. Um, I kind of was maybe a bit earlier to the rest of my peers because I have this kind of anxiety of being unemployed. Um, so I was, wasn't even at the Christmas holidays when I was applying for jobs because I'd, I'd heard somewhere that if you want to work in the food industry, you need to apply in kind of November time. Mm. And that's, that's true. You do the, the positions for the grad programs open up really, really early. So, um, people who are coming to the end of their degrees, if they want to go straight into work, really need to start thinking about it soon. Um, and the application process isn't, isn't simple it's complex it's long um there's lots of aptitude tests and mathematic tests and english reasoning and all of this complex stuff and then once you're through all those tests that kind of almost robotic then you get through to um, maybe video interviews where you record um, an interview rather than actually even being it's not even a Skype session. You are recording answers to questions that pop on the screen. Um, it's really unnatural. Um, but the only positive thing I would say is that they're all very similar. So I was applying for companies like Nestle, Danone, Unilever, um, Kerry Foods, and they're all very, very similar. So you can kind of, if you start to practice these things, you can kind of understand where you're going and what you need to be doing and how you can improve, but they're not, they don't allow personality to come through, which is a bit of a challenge. Um, but I was lucky enough to get through to an assessment centre. So I finally got to see a person, um, which was really good. Um, and then that's that, again, it's a gruelling task. It's, you know, like Hunger Games style, you know, lots of people in a room really trying their best to succeed and trying to shine. Um, so it's a really competitive type of environment. Mm. Um, and yeah, I was, I was able to have, have an interview and, and show them how passionate I was. Um, I mean, it, it didn't go to plan. I didn't actually get the job I applied for. Um, but I did get a call um, oh, maybe about two weeks or something after um, saying that they wanted to see me again. Um, so I, I met with, um, my, then became my manager. Um, I met her in a, a small place in Paddington, I think. Um, and we just had a chat and I think that is, that was where the success came actually was being able to speak to a person and show not just, um, not just my knowledge, I guess, because they knew that everyone that was applying had nutrition knowledge, but it was just how passionate, um, I was about the topic that really, I guess, shone through and um, enabled me to get to where I was. 
And so when you got that role at Nestle, you initially started on a sort of internship placement within their medical affairs team. What did that work involve? Yeah, so I, I was lucky enough to get a, a placement, which um, was a, a far cry from the graduate scheme I'd actually applied for. But it actually turned out to be one of the best opportunities for me. And watching then the graduate programme, I, I understood that it was definitely the right route for me. Um, I I was within their medical affairs team, as you said. So it was my job to look at marketing materials that were coming through um, and give nutrition counsel and approve them. So um, it would be just making sure that the the claims that were being made, not necessarily even health claims, but just the communications that came out of the marketing teams um, were nutritionally sound and that they weren't misleading in any way. Um, so I supported the team on that a lot. And then after that, you progressed into a communications role at Nestle. And you said that that involved trying to help launch brands within Nestle on social media, along with some other roles. What did you learn from doing that work? Yeah, so I, yeah, as I finished my year um, at Nestle with the internship or placement, um, yeah, I moved into this communications nutritionist role. So it was this this grand title that had been created for essentially me doing the same thing. Um, but I was, yeah, I was launch, trying to launch us on social media. So the the brand wanted to communicate um, their research to health professionals via social media. It's the first time they'd ever tried to dip their toe into social media. They, I don't think they even had a consumer social media page at that point. Um, and it was trying to identify which platform we should be using, um, trying to identify what our messaging would be, because usually when we were communicating anything to do with science, it was lengthy, really lengthy, and not something that you would want to put on social media. Um, and we then actually, we decided on Twitter and so it meant our messaging had to decrease even more. And I think that's where the real challenge with the role came, is that um, it was for an infant nutrition brand. So sticking to the WHO code um, is really, really important when it comes to infant nutrition and making sure that um, communications around infant nutrition that could potentially be out in the public um, is really, really clear. So that's where we thought, actually, is social media um, at this point the best move? Um, is it going to be detailed enough for health professionals to truly understand what we're trying to say whilst um, also sticking within our kind of code of ethics as a company and you know within the law as well so um, we actually decided not to not to launch onto social media at that point with the brand um, and it, it, it kind of moved and and developed into kind of more uh, there were slightly different roles within the communications part. So um, I ended up doing a lot more training of new starters on the nutrition messaging um, and wider science messaging and training the medical detailing team. So those are the people that they're essentially sales reps, but they're not called that, but um, people that go to NHS hospitals, talk to dietitians, nutritionists, doctors um, about the products that Nestle have. Um, and kind of talk about the research behind that as well. So that's kind of how the role evolved. Um, and then I, I went on to move into a, a slightly slightly different role as well. Yeah, so after having been at Nestle for several years, you then progressed into a, um, a role at Porta Novelli, which is um, 
Oh, sorry. Did you you went to brand manager after your communications role? I should have yes. mentioned that. So was that still the same role or something a bit different? It was slightly different. So it was still very communications based. And this is actually, um, it wasn't nutrition at all in mm. a sense. So it was working for Nestle Nutrition. So it was still a nutrition brand, and it was um, still the same brand that I'd been working on the whole time. Um, but as a brand manager, it's it's marketing. That that is what that sits under. Um, and it was my job to create marketing materials and marketing messaging. Um, and they didn't need a nutritionist in that job. It wasn't, it wasn't a requirement, but it was something that I knew I could do from my communications background in, in the communications nutritionist role. But also because we were trying to talk to other health professionals, it's definitely something that having nutrition expertise helps with. So um, when I was developing uh, key messages and and things that I previously had been in my previous role approving, it was very easy to then create that messaging and then have it go through the medical affairs team, which was my old team, um, because it was very aligned. Mm. Um, and actually, one of the one of the biggest projects I worked on whilst I was in that role was um, this big project. It was kind of an unbranded project. It wasn't wanting to promote the brand at all but it was really communicating about Nestle's research Mm. and that was something that was a big passion project for me because um, I wanted people to know about the great research that was being done in a way that was compelling and I think that's where the marketing side of things comes in is that there's some fantastic stories that you can tell as a nutritionist but you need to tell it in a really compelling way and an honest way and a transparent way so that people actually want to listen and want to understand what's going on. Yeah, and I know um, in your current role at Porta Novelli, which we'll talk about shortly, um, that's a huge part of your role, disseminating findings from research that your food industry clients have, have conducted. So after several years, was it three, four years at Nestle? Three and a half years at Nestle, yeah. Three and a half years, you then moved on to Porta Novelli, which is a global PR and marketing agency. For people who li- who are listening who are not too familiar with PR, what, what is PR? What does it mean? So yeah, this was a question actually they asked me in my very first interview at Porta Novelli, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, do I actually know what it is? Have I actually done this research? So I just kind of went from what I thought it was and then it turned out to be right. So um, it's essentially trying to communicate a message um, to the public. And that's kind of the most simplistic way. And it's trying to convey that message in a really compelling way to an audience. Um, And what I do is I do it on behalf of my clients. So that's probably the most simplistic um, description of what PR public relations is um and it's to the media it's using the media really as as the kind of vessel for that and we're going to talk through a few case studies in a moment about some of the clients that you work with but just to give a brief overview what are the sorts of um roles that a pr company gets involved with is it sending out press releases is it hosting events what's involved all of the above yeah so press releases are definitely kind of uh and, and pitching into the media so grabbing a phone and trying to sell a story on behalf of your clients is definitely kind of the bare bones of what a public relations agency does. But events management as well is is massive. Um, social media, um, influencer strategy, um, 
there's uh, working with health professionals. So a lot of what I do is talking to other health professionals, which I always say is one of the easiest parts of my jobs because I just go out and talk to people that are like me and it's really fun. Um, but yeah, there is there's a wide breadth of what a PR agency does. And in particular at Porto Novelli, um, it, it's very wide. It's more It's more than just a public relations agency. They do so much more. Um, and this, it's more of a storytelling type um, agency. And why did you decide to move from Nestlé, which was more focused on, you know, the products itself, to working in a PR and marketing agency? Did you feel that was best suited to your skill set? Yeah, so when I was um, working within my marketing role at Nestlé, I had a lot of contact with agencies. So being a, a marketing person, you go out and you you meet with various agencies that are helping you with your campaigns. And um, that insight into that world really interested me. The variety of the work that happens in agency, kind of, it really appealed to me. Um, as much as I loved working in infant nutrition and, and all of the things that happen there, I wanted that diversity. I wanted to work on clients that worked along several different sectors and that's exactly what I've got from Fortin Valley. I was very very lucky in that the job they were advertising fitted my portfolio perfectly and um, they were looking for a nutritionist. They have a fantastic food and nutrition um, program so having an extra nutritionist on the team was something they were looking for. They've already got um, several nutritionists and dietitians globally so um, it, it per- fit, fitted perfectly into what my plan was. And what do you feel are the skills and values that you bring to the company as a nutritionist? So um, beyond the the kind of obvious in that I have that kind of nutrition background, um, but the, the main skill set really is being able to read and understand complex scientific messaging. So a lot of my clients have um, a huge amount of nitty-gritty research so they will go and um, investigate various nutrition issues and um, publish papers and the thing about published papers is they are hard to read and hard to understand and the the great thing about nutritionists and dietitians is that we can read it and translate it to clients and patients and that's kind of one of our biggest skill sets I suppose Um, so that is one of a huge part of what I do is being able to read papers, understand the paper and translate it into language that is going to be easy for health professionals that are busy and don't have time to read that paper themselves or um, consumers or the media. So that's one big thing. Um, Another huge part of my role is um, around regulations and health claims. So from my experience at Nestle and and even with the Italian cheese company um, at the very, very start of my career, Health claims and sticking within regulations were very much part of my role and it's very much something that um, is important for people in the food industry to know. Yeah, so for people who don't work in the food industry, can you just give a brief overview of what these food and health claims are and um, how do your clients have to make sure they're working within um, the the boundaries as such? Yeah, so um, the European Food Safety Authority um, publishes the the kind of health claims documentation. Um, And essentially what it is, is that you are allowed to make certain health claims on certain 
um, ingredients within foods if there is um, a, a huge body of evidence behind it. If there is not the evidence, then EFSA will not allow the claim. Or if the evidence is in its infancy, then EFSA will um, look at the evidence and they'll review it and they'll decide whether it's eligible for a health claim or not. So, um, for example, um, maybe your product has um, quite a high amount of protein in it. Um, but it's up to then nutritionists and dietitians and, and other regulatory trained professionals to be able to look at the quantity of protein in the product, so to speak, um, and look at the regulations and determine whether you can say that it's um, a source of protein or whether it contains protein. So they're, they're different um, and nobody really kind of deals with the nitty gritty. A source of protein and contains protein kind of sounds like the same thing, but it all depends on how much of that um, particular nutrient is in the food as to whether you can make that claim. Um, and then there's nutrient claims. So you can say things like, um, oh, I'll try to think of one off the top of my head now, like um, maybe iron for reducing tiredness. Mm-hmm. Um, can you say that or not? And have you got enough iron to make that claim and, and such like? Yeah, yeah. So that's really where your skill set as a nutritionist comes in. Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, Sometimes um, my colleagues think of me as an encyclopedia for having that kind of <laughs> knowledge, but it's it's more about knowing where to find that information, I think, rather than having it all in your brain. Definitely. So that leads me on to my next question, which is, tell me more about some of the clients that you work with at Porta Novelli. I think we're going to today focus on um, a few examples. You are involved with the Fruit Juice Association, Soft Drinks Association, and also the Almond Board. So which one do you want to chat us through first? Um, well, I spend most of my time um, working with the Army Board of California. Um, so I think, yeah, let's let's go with that one first. It's Yeah, so I don't know where I should start. Really. I think I, I met actually met Rosie a few months ago because the Army Board were hosting a symposium at the FENS conference in Dublin. Um, and that's a prime example of the sort of work that you get involved with at Porta Novelli because um, you can tell us more, but you were involved with... Um, helping to organise that event, invite healthcare professionals along, such as myself, mm-hmm. and then disseminate the findings from some quite exciting new research. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that is just in a nutshell, um, pardon the pun, of what we do with the Almond Board. So um, the great thing about working with the Almond Board is that they they have a great purpose. And for over two decades, they've really um, focused on um, their nutrition research programme. And they have a huge body of evidence around almonds and how they fit into a healthy balanced diet. And, um, you know, they have research from diabetes to heart health to gut health um, and beyond and more recently even skin health. So they're really investigating how almonds can impact um, various different kind of health elements, but also um, help with kind of general health. Um, And I think that's that's the best thing about um, the work I do for the Almond Board is that a lot of the work I do is communicating that research and um, showing how um, how strong that research is. So all of their research is peer reviewed. Um, so it's quite easy to be able to promote that in a way um, to health professionals. So primarily we promote it to health professionals, but we also promote it in a kind of really compelling way to the media so that consumers know 
why almonds are such a healthy food. Um, and it gives them more reason why they can um, enjoy snacking on almonds. And you've also been involved with the Fruit Juice Association. So um, as most of our listeners will probably be aware, the fruit juice recommendations in terms of portion size um, changed significantly in the last is it last year or two years? Um, I, I mean, that happened prior to me working on fruit juice, but I think it's been in the last um, couple of years. Last or couple so, of years yeah. or so. So the portion size is now 150 mils per day maximum. So that's um, quite a significant change in terms of nutrition advice that we're giving to people. How have you managed that for your client? So, yeah, so the work we do with the British, um, British Fruit Juice Association is mainly about promoting that portion size and making sure that um, health professionals primarily um, are aware of the portion size and are aware that um, how how fruit juice can fit into a healthy balanced diet within the right portion. Um, it's, it's kind of a complex one because in lots of other European countries, there's different portion sizes. So the portion sizes can range from kind of 250 mils to 150. Um, so it's a little bit tricky in that sense. But we are quite clear um, on portion size in the UK, which is great. And it means that the industry has actually done a really, really good job in making sure that's communicated well. Um, most people now, most health professionals at least, will know the portion size um, of fruit juice so they can communicate that to their um, clients and patients. Um, but the rest of the work we do is um, about really talking about how fruit juice recently has been associated with sugar and been caught up in the sugar debate, and especially around um, talks of the sugar tax um, and in the media, it is um, spoken about more negatively. Um, and what we do is we want to kind of take it away from the sugar. Yes, it has sugar. It naturally contains fruit sugars, but it also contains a lot of other fantastic things. So, you know, it's a source of folate, potassium and vitamin C in just 150 mils. Um, and it's one of your five a day. So we want to promote the kind of positive messages around fruit juice Um and encourage people to include it as part of their diet because actually when you look at the um, dietary survey data, fruit juice drinkers are more likely to meet their five a day. So we wouldn't recommend it in place of fruit. It's 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 not an either or kind of scenario and that's never the message that we would want to put out. It's a and, you know, eat your yeah. fruit and veg yeah. and also have a glass of orange juice and, and you can be even closer to your five a day or maybe even exceeding it, which is... Obviously. Which is what we want, because of yeah. course the National Diet and Nutrition Survey data shows that most of us are still not achieving the five-a-day, even though lots of us know about the importance of that message. Absolutely, and fruit juice, the, I mean, the best thing about it is that it is simple. It's, you know, it's not going to rot in your fridge. It's very easy for people to just take a glass of fruit juice every day, and then they've already got one, and that just makes people feel like they're going to succeed a bit better. And yes, it has sugar, but we just have to kind of um, look at the context of the diet, look mm. at the diet as a whole. And if the only sugar you're getting is from fruit and fruit juice and maybe the odd cake and that, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's not such a bad thing. Yeah. So the impression I'm getting from you is, you know, you've got a very sensible, balanced approach to nutrition and within that fruit juice can have a role. Absolutely. And, and that's the messaging we promote for the client. And it's, it's absolutely the messaging that the client wants to put forward. Um, mm. 
you know, it, it's it's kind of a no-brainer for me. But, um, so using that as an example, how have you been promoting those messages to health professionals? Because I know I've certainly had a few emails from you recently um, to attend sort of briefings and talks and events. Um, tell me more. So we have um, a health professional newsletter, which we send out every quarter. Um, so we promote... Um, the nutritional benefits of fruit juice, but also we have one for the almond board as well. So we promote um, lots of new research within that and recipes and all sorts of um, exciting things. Um, and then we also hold events. So very recently with the Fruit Juice Association, we held a panel event um, with a number of health professionals, which really talked about um, how people aren't meeting their five a day. And it was a wider discussion around that issue with the fact that we're not getting fruit and veg, what impact that is having on people's health overall. And then fruit juice is kind of part of the answer. It isn't It isn't the kind of magic bullet. It's It's not this thing that's going to solve everything. And that's um, very much part of the messaging. It, it's always part of a, a solution to the problem. Um, but we, we, we invite um, health professionals and um, health journalists along to um, listen and hear from experts and it's it's about hearing a discussion and then a balanced debate as well. Mm, definitely. And finally, you've been doing some work with the Soft Drinks Association, particularly around um, misreporting of concerns about sweeteners. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah. So that is um, it's one of the the topics about when when people ask me about it, and I say that I work for the Soft Drinks Association. They um, they kind of screw up their nose and are a little bit confused about how a nutritionist would but it's definitely something that having a nutritionist working on that and having dietitians and um, there are lots of nutritionists and dietitians working within the um, within that industry as well Um, and it's very important especially with the the kind of role we have in communicating about low and no calorie sweeteners we know as health professionals that they have had a really bad rep Um, they have been talked about in the media all the time about you know you'll see headlines at you know diet coke's going to kill you or um you know uh, artificial sweeteners cause cancer all of these mm-hmm. horrifically scary headlines um and it's the work we do is about trying to rebalance that debate and get some positive um mentions in the media to try and just show the other side and to sh- to kind of stop that fear-mongering um because if you can get experts um, being quoted within the media giving that balance, that is kind of where people will see the bigger picture and they won't just see the scaremongering headlines. They'll see a bit more um, positive information. And, and it's it's certainly a job that still needs um, more work and I think we need a lot more time on it um, and, and a lot more experts on board because I think that we really need to tackle the fact that people are talking some really really bad things that aren't true so that leads on to my next question what are your thoughts on how nutrition is generally reported in the media and how do you address bad journalism or fear-mongering headlines on behalf of your clients yeah so I think um it's it's a hard question because not not all reporting of nutrition information in the media is bad necessarily there are some journalists out there that really want to hear from experts and really want to hear the balanced the balanced voice around nutrition. They want to 
they want to educate people. Um, but one of the things, and I think it's one of the biggest challenges about nutrition as a whole, is that a lot, everyone eats. So everyone has some sort of opinion on nutrition and um, thinks they know something. And I think that's kind of where this um, misinformation is coming from, is that people hear from studies. So, so a study will be published and um, it looks very credible. So if a study is published in the likes of the British Medical Journal or something else like, um, oh, I can't think of another one now, but, you know, in a, a really reputable source, um, you immediately think this is this is true. But you've got to look, and a lot of the work we do with, um, I, I, I won't say bad journalism necessarily, it's it may be misguided um, when they report on these studies, as they will just look at the abstract and they will find kind of the most exciting parts of that paper and they will talk about it and they'll find they'll find the most exciting headline as well which is usually something negative but what we do is we tend to address the journalist directly so um, an example would be for the British Fruit Juice Association um, there was a study recently which was published which um, showed an association between fruit juice and cancer and I mean, this is one of my biggest bugbears because I mean, to say one drink is going to cause cancer, I think yeah. is correlation doesn't equal causation. Absolutely, the amount of times I say that phrase uh, in the office is is obscene. But um, yeah, it, it's what we do is we'll address the journalist directly, we'll highlight the the flaws in the evidence, or that you know, and talk about you know the sample size may be big. The um, journal may be really, really respected, but you have to look at the study design and look at whether that is actually giving us um, a potential or avenue for more research or whether it's giving us some sort of conclusive result. And most of the time, it really isn't giving us anything because it's, yeah, as you said, an association. It's the fact that someone has filled out a self-reported um, questionnaire and um, they've looked at then their risk of getting cancer. They There's so many issues with the self-reported questionnaire in the sense of a lot of the time they know they're being researched and they think certain things are healthy, so they'll report more of them. So if someone says, do you drink fruit juice? They'll say, yes, of course, I drink lots of it. And because they think this is healthy, I should tell everyone that I'm drinking loads and loads. And on the other hand, there's this misinformation around what fruit juice actually is. So if someone is having a fruit-flavoured drink, which is actually packed full of free sugars, they're, they're going to say, yeah, yeah, I, I drink fruit juice, when actually they're not drinking what we would consider fruit juice. So 100% fruit juice is simply fruit-juiced. That's, that's all that we can talk about. Mm -hmm. It's not the fruit-flavoured drinks with loads and loads of added sugar. That, that's, but consumers don't necessarily know that. So it's linking that to this risk and actually, you know, yeah. that also isn't really. And it's, it's just trying to communicate that to journalists. And a lot of the time we get, you know, them coming back and they'll want to include, um, so we work with a number of nutritionists and dietitians who regularly are quoted within the media for various um, brands. And we'll work with them to kind of add that expertise into that quote so that you know, the journalists wants to run the balance. And a lot of the time, journalists do want to have a balanced article. They don't necessarily want to feed into this 
misinformation. Yeah. So, I mean, it's great that journalists are receptive to the feedback that you're giving them and you are able to essentially steer them in the evidence-based direction and, and look at the strengths and weaknesses of different study designs. And I think that's a challenge that we all face when we're addressing um, misinformation that's out there. So as we come to the end of this podcast, um, I'm wondering what has been the biggest lesson you've learned since working in the field of nutrition? I think, I mean, the the biggest lesson for me, I mean, when I first started my career, I was convinced that I would work in a hospital and I was going to be a dietitian, and it didn't work out that way. And I think but then when I moved into my my nutritionist role at Nestle, I, I thought that I would always be on the kind of technical side of things, looking at nutritional data and analysing this and that. But actually, the biggest thing I've learned is there's so many diverse routes to working in nutrition. You don't have to um, do what is kind of shown to us at university, that it's either a hospital or you work in catering or this there's so many things there's I mean, you can work for yourself you can go and work in the food industry you can work in PR which I remember somebody telling me when I when I moved into my marketing role um I they, they said you know I, I don't think it's a good idea because you're you're distancing yourself from nutrition far too soon um and I remember thinking but I'm still doing nutrition it's just different. Yeah, it's you're just, just applying it in a different industry. Absolutely. And I think that is one of the biggest things I've learned is as long as you have that expertise and that credibility, you can apply it to any kind of aspect of food, whether, mm-hmm. you know, it, as long as it's food-based, I think. And evidence-based. And of, yeah. of course, of yeah. course. Um, and you keep your integrity mm. always, mm. then you can kind of go the wherever you want. Absolutely. So in terms of support available to nutritionists or dietitians working in industry, what organizations have been helpful for you so one of the things I I learned about when I was at Nestle in my first industry role was the nutritionists in industry group um and it's invaluable um it's they hold meetings I think every quarter I am really rubbish at keeping up to date with my calendar as to when they come in but as soon as I get the invite I and you know they're free to attend the membership is I think 40 pounds a year so it's really good value for money yeah definitely and um they they host all-day meeting um it's somewhere in London so central you kind of have to be London based in order to go or want are willing to travel but Mm. um it's yeah it's, it's central London and it's lots of talks from lots of different people working in the industry sharing um best practice and their experiences and they hold um sometimes workshop sessions so the one i went to uh, fairly recently um they it was all about well-being at work and there was a kind of mental health theme to it and how we as nutritionists can bring you know a positive diet into our workplace to kind of help with mental health encourage people to take a lunch break things like that just you know small things but there was so much support and there's these networking sessions as well they i remember they did in one of the meetings they did this um kind of speed dating networking session just after lunch and it was the best idea ever for a networking because you had uh, you know maybe a minute not even to speak to somebody but you met so many people that you wouldn't necessarily speak to and it's people that are working in all parts of the food industry and people who are also working in any part of brand work so if you're a freelancer and you work for some brands you're eligible to join um, and that's probably the one of the biggest things because there's so many opportunities that come from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely the nutritionist industry group. 
Um, and then there's other, you know, groups that other people have set up. So just small networking groups. So the UK Nutrition Writers Group on Facebook, which I know you're you're familiar with. Um, that's fantastic for people to just talk about what they're experiencing and um, share their, you know, their work and to get advice as well. Because I think one of the things when you're a nutritionist working in industry, you're kind of crowded by a lot of other people that aren't in your sphere in a way mm-hmm. um so being able to bounce ideas off and just get some advice and just grow your network is kind of the best thing there definitely and as a freelance writer myself sometimes it can get a bit isolating I think it is incredibly important to make sure you have a supportive network of professionals out there another organization that I found really helpful is the Guild of Health Writers um, and that's also a subscription organization that you can join and they do lots of events throughout the year there's actually one next week which is December and that's in the House of Parliament and it's an opportunity to get lots of journalists PR companies together um, and I've personally got lots of uh, good connections or even work from attending those events so um, yeah nutritionists and in industry there's also Sense which is a group for nutritionists in particular to attend um, Guild of Health Writers, UK Nutrition Writers Facebook group and um, there's a freelance dietetics group which also has some um, professionals who work in industry in that group as well. So um, just before we move on to our couple of quick fire questions, do you have any advice to other nutrition professionals who are interested in working in the food industry or communications? Yeah, so I think um, my, my biggest piece of advice was to persevere um, so that's one of the things that really helped me succeed when I was trying to get into the industry. Um, I, you know, I didn't get my first job, um, but you know, when I I got that rejection call, I, went, I hate to call it that, but uh, I went straight back and said, well, if there's anything else at any point, keep me in mind, and they did. So that really helped um, with that. But also just to be open minded about it. So a lot of the success that I've had is through. Um, kind of broadening my experience and going into the communications um, element so within my role as a brand manager that wasn't a nutrition focused role but I made it I made it nutrition focused I made sure of it Um, and I think it's making sure that you're prepared to do things beyond nutrition a lot of what I do is events management and um, talking about things that aren't nutrition related but um, most of what I do is still nutrition and, and, and that expertise really adds value to um, the people I work for. So if you're approaching a company and they're not advertising for a nutritionist, but they work for brands that have a nutrition focus, then then talk about your expertise and talk about the value you can add to them. They may suddenly realise that actually, yes, they weren't looking for one, but mm. they, they really need one and they would really value one. So it's it's really about going out there, really putting yourself out there and putting what you can offer out there um, and broadening your experience as well into kind of all sorts of different areas. That's really good advice. And also, um, I would just add to that, that there are lots of PR companies out there who are always offering internships, particularly within their health or nutrition teams. I did an internship at Edelman um, a year and a half ago before I went freelance and I we were talking earlier Rosie and I and you were saying that there's constantly opportunities within PR um to sort Absolutely. of to, to get a foot in the door and then you know work up and see what opportunities are available to you yeah I mean the great thing about um PR agencies is that 
they are always um, getting new clients and and needing resource um, to help out on certain things. So whether it's you just want um, a little bit of experience, it's worth just approaching them and seeing whether they'll they'll take you for a couple of weeks just so you can see what's going on. And um, yeah, especially when it, if you have a nutrition qualification, that's like gold dust. So make the most of it. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to link um, Rosie's email address in the show notes. So if you do want to get in touch with Rosie to discuss, you know, um, potentially working in the food industry or communications, she'll be really happy to chat to you about that. Um, so just finally, our quick fire questions to you, Rosie, what has been your biggest achievement to date, professionally or personally? So I thought long and hard about this one. Um, but really, I think it's... Um, it's almost a personal one, but a professional one as well. In that, when I first started my career, and I remember my my first interview really vividly, I had to present um, this horrible presentation to a room full of people, and I I couldn't I could barely get my words out. I was a, a shaking bundle of nerves, um, and I think working in communications has enabled me to find my voice. Um, I am confident in what I can say um, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy going out and chatting to anyone whether it's I mean I remember as a kid I was super super shy and I, I wouldn't even say boo to a goose but I um, am now confident I can go and speak to journalists I can go and present to um, whoever and new clients and speak to health professionals about all sorts of things so that would be my biggest achievement I guess professionally and then that's fed very nicely into my personal life. Um, my sister kindly asked me to um, give a speech at her wedding on behalf of my dad. Um, and it was the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done, but I managed to do it justice. So I think just being able to find my voice is, is the best achievement I've made. And that's really quite inspiring to hear and certainly having met you a few times and seeing you today and um, seeing you professionally when you've been working at some of the events that I've attended, that really shines through your, your skill set in terms of communicating. So that leads us on to our final question. We're at the Dietitian Cafe today. So what would be your last ever meal? Oh, so I have a childhood favourite. It is one of my, my dad's recipes and Anytime I see my dad, uh, or any of my family actually see my dad, they'll immediately ask for what he calls tubes. And that's the only description, really, tubes. And what it is, is um, rigatoni pasta, and he's very specific about that. It can't be penne. It's absolutely rigatoni. It's the right, um, it's got the right shape and everything. Penne's not quite right. It's too small. Um, and he, what he does is he gets... But I've tried to get the recipe from him, but it's quite vague. Butter and olive oil, and he'll fry garlic. Um, when I asked how much, he just said lots. Um, and he'll fry up garlic, smoked bacon. And then um, he adds um, a little bit of white wine. I say a little bit, a big glass of white wine, some dill. And then simmers that right down. Then he has creme fraiche, full fat, into there simmers that down a bit then he adds cheese again lots um and then when the sauce is nearly ready uh he adds a little bit of chopped fresh dill and it all mixes together and it is the best thing ever so that would definitely be my, my last meal it's definitely not healthy but it is very wholesome and hearty and lovely so yeah 
that sounds absolutely amazing it's so good Um, and yeah a great way to to end our (laughs) podcast with you Um, thank you so much for your time today Rosie thank you for everyone who's listened to the podcast and we look forward to seeing you in our next podcast series which will hopefully be coming out soon